Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today, Tiffany is in Rome. I am in Seattle in the United States. And we have a listener email that I want to share with you that is in response to an episode we did just a couple weeks ago about being alone in the Vatican at night. So if you haven't heard that, this is tied to that. It can stand alone as well, but you might want to listen to the other one as well. Why not? Why not? So this is an email from Mike, and he does reference uh, his wife in this email, his wife, Sunny. So that's who he's talking about. And he writes... Listening to the recent podcast about being in empty churches reminded me of my own spine-tingling experience when I was 14 and a new freshman at Gonzaga Prep in Spokane, Washington. As luck would have it, our Catholic bishop in Spokane passed away just as school began, and as an all-boys school, we were tasked with standing guard over his coffin. There were four boys assigned to each hour of the day and night until his funeral. I got a night shift. It was an open casket, and I had the top of the coffin on his right shoulder. He was dressed in his full bishop's regalia, lying in state on a velvet bed. I could have reached out and touched his cold, ashen face, but was too petrified to move. It was late at night and only candles were lit, so flickering shadows played against the walls and high ceilings of the cathedral. It was also the first dead person I had ever seen, let alone been so near. Every Catholic school kid in the city was paraded past the coffin during his showing, and Sonny, a seventh grader at the time, remembers the fear and trepidation of having to pass by his ghostly remains. I had trouble sleeping the next week, seeing his ghost hovering over my bed. And then he signs... literally sees the ghost. (laughs) He signs Mike, in parentheses, too much imagination. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's cute. I wrote him back, and I I did say... um, what a strange thing for them to make children do. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, if he was a freshman in prep school, he would only have been 14. Yeah, that's what he said, 14 years old. I, and I thought, how strange. And he said, and he wrote back one more time, and he just said, yes, of course, all of us from that class have vivid memories of that episode. Well, you would have to, especially because it was like at the very beginning. So you would have stronger memories of it just for that reason, because you were just starting there. Mm-hmm. But yeah. also, how strange, like, you have a bunch of 14-year-old kids having to, well, probably not, maybe they were all ages, but in a dark cathedral with only candles flickering overnight? I mean, what are you trying to do? Well, <laughs> can I can I say something really like, I, I may be ignorant, I don't know, but I feel like, especially the Catholic Church, you'd think, you know, the Church teaches that your soul leaves your body when you die, and your body becomes an empty shell, and it's your soul that goes on and goes to God why the importance of the physical remains if the soul is no longer there Uh, um i I can understand from a sentimental point of view if it's your loved one of course but if you know if you're just like the church making the decision to do this the school i mean i know gonzaga is a christian is is a catholic school um you know the them deciding to to do to do this in general, not just that specific time, but why give so? I mean, it's the same thing with the you know people going to see 
John Paul II. I was here in Rome during the time of his funeral, and obviously Benedict XVI as well. John the Paul, John Paul II was a bigger deal. And people lined up for hours, literally four or five or more hours to walk past the body of, of John Paul II. And I, I'm sorry, but like, again, like I said, if it's your mother, if it's someone near your spouse, I get that. But if it's like a religious figure, I don't get it. I really don't get it. I have two theories about why. I think to answer your first question, what is the importance of the body if the soul isn't there anymore? I believe that some of the belief, some people believe that the reason why people get embalmed in the first place, instead of just being cremated, might have something to do with the resurrection. The idea of the resurrection, everybody mm. is brought back to life. You want to have a body sticking around for when you are brought back to life. <laughs> I think that that at least was part of the older thinking, the thinking of the past, right? But the body doesn't survive. <laughs> I just, I'm just giving you how some people <laughs> thought about it in the past and maybe even today. Okay. Uh, okay. Although, you know, now okay. green burial and cremation is so much more popular in many ways, at least in the United States. Another thing about parading past a famous cultural figure, I think, of any kind, because, you know, you also have like Ho Chi Minh in Vietnam, things like that, is that this is the only chance you're going to get to see that person. It's like almost like going and seeing a celebrity. If you were really into John Paul II and you never got a chance to actually be in his presence in your life, being in his presence in his death is eh, maybe somewhat similar. You know, your chance to Second best. <laughs> look upon his face, you know, with your own eyes. That would be my guess. Mm -hmm. But I think why they would have a bunch of teenagers guarding a cardinal who was lying in state seems a little strange in general to me. But I did want to talk about the kind of spooky experience of being in the presence of a dead body, something that is not entirely uncommon when you're walking around the streets, not the streets, the cathedrals of Rome. It's not completely unheard of that you might encounter somebody who is lying there dead. And of course, in my own life, I've had plenty of experiences encountering dead people. So I figured we would chat about it a little bit. All right. Is there a particular dead person in Rome that you'd like to introduce as a way of getting this conversation started? Yes, there are. Well, like you said, there are several. One that pops to mind is St. Catherine of Siena, who is in a coffin, in a glass coffin, in the church of Santa Maria Sopra Minerva. Now, she's basically at the high altar, and I cannot remember the reason why she's in that particular church, but there is a marble effigy of her in a glass coffin that you can see from the front. But people can go back behind that. And when I am in Santa Maria Sopra Minerva, 99 times out of 100, I am with tourists and I'm doing a tour for them. And I don't take them back there because quite honestly, I've never been back there. You know, I talk about the Michelangelo sculpture. I talk about the Filipino Lippi paintings. There's only so much time, you know, there's a lot to see. So I've actually never gone back there. Um, but I know I see people going back there. From what I understand, from the back of the coffin, you can see maybe part of her actual body. 
-hmm. or maybe her head. I'm not sure what's back there. But the front, you can see it's a, it's a marble sculpture. But from the back, she's back there. Hmm. And you know, there are several people buried in glass coffins in various churches of Rome. And usually what you'll find is their face and their hands are covered with like a wax mask, you know, like the face is a wax, a wax mask and there's wax hands over their hands, but their body is lying there in their clothes. So the only, you know, parts of them that you would be able to see are the face and the hands, but of course they're covered in wax. It's eerie mm -hmm. because it looks, you know, at first glance, it's like that there's the dude just lying there dead in the glass coffin, like a la Snow White. Um, <laughs> but you know, I wonder though, like how there must be ways, there must be ways that they keep the body from, you know, just crumbling away because you can see like the physicality of the body underneath the clothing, like there's a body there. And it's funny because the, the, the body of John the, the 23rd, mm -hmm. Pope John the 23rd is, is in St. Peter's Basilica and it's in a glass coffin and you can see it. And I just, I remember I used to do tours there. And I just remember I had an older gentleman on a tour and this still, this would have been like 10 or more, maybe probably more like 15 years ago. And he was older already. And he's just saying, that's John the 23rd. Like he was huge. <laughs> he was this big guy. He's this really big man and he's tiny now. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, I guess to a certain point it does, the body does shrivel up, but yeah. anyway. I was going to say that they probably do stuff the clothes with something i would think probably i mean i i don't have to go too far into this but like back in the late 90s so a while ago i did a nonfiction mm -hmm. piece about working in a funeral home what it was like to work in a funeral home and spent a great deal of time trying to, one, convince the funeral director that he would let me do this in the first place. I think I spent over a year trying to find a funeral director who would let a person who was not an actual apprentice in the funeral home industry see what was happening behind the scenes. And finally, after I earnestly try finding person after person after person who will let me, and nobody will, this man that I first started with, the very first funeral director I ever talked to about it, must have just thrown up his hands and said, my gosh, I guess she's serious about this because she is not going away. And he agreed to <laughs> let me do it. So I got to spend a number of days working behind the scenes with all the dead bodies uh, and see how things were actually done during this period of time. Now, this is the night to handle them. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Now, this is the 90s, so I, it's possible that things have changed dramatically. I mean, technology is constantly changing, so the way that things are done are not necessarily the way things are done anymore. But, I mean, there were all kinds of funny, weird, questionable methods of making a person look as normal as possible going into the coffin. And a lot of that is like, uh, I mean, I taught the guy, the head, the head embalmer, I taught him the term MacGyvering it because, you know, like the old show MacGyver, how he could build a bomb out of like a ballpoint pen and a rope, some string, you know, and he would somehow fashion a bomb, you know, <laughs> it, it felt very much the same way because corpses are 
particularly delicate. You know, they are in a state of beginning decomposition, even if they just come out of the fridge, you know, they're still not, they don't have a lot of like physical integrity necessarily, you know, things are starting to loosen up a little bit. And so every now and then something would happen where, you know, you're moving a person around, you're trying to finish the embalming, or you're just trying to move them from one place to another. And maybe let's just give a light example. Sorry for anyone who's too squeamish. But like maybe you get like a little tear in the skin, right? Like a, in the arm because the skin's so loose. Well, I mean, you can't just have like an open tear in the skin. I'm squeamish, Katie. <laughs> I'm know. squeamish, okay? <laughs> I know. Well, I'll, I'll just use this as my one example. You can't just have like a, a tear in the skin because, uh, you know, if you put that person in a dress or a shirt, you know, eventually that whatever fluids are in there are going to come through the shirt. So you don't want that. So what would you do? Wrap uh, the arm in plastic wrap, like saran wrap, you know, and maybe spray it with a spray glue before you do it so that the plastic stays on. And then you just kind of pat it down and like seal it off. And there are all kinds of things like uh, that. Or, or in a non-graphic way, like what happens if you can't really lift somebody, but you have to put them in clothes? You know, so let's say they're too heavy to lift and manipulate. And so, and you want to put them in a dress. Well, you're not going to like put their arms up and pull it over their heads, you know, while they're standing, obviously. What you might do instead is cut the dress all the way open up the back and then put their arms in and Uh tuck it around them, you know, and make it look like they're actually wearing it. So I'm sure there is a, like a, fantastic array of things that they are doing to make John Paul II look like John Paul II. But over time, uh-huh. you're right. He probably is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. John the 23rd. I mean, John, John the, the 23rd. 23rd just yeah. to be, Sorry, John the 23rd. Yeah. yeah. You, he might actually be get, becoming like smaller and smaller over time. But I'm sure yeah. somebody's brought in from time to time to try to like stuff it back up again, you know? And I don't know, are those glass coffins, like, are those glass coffins refrigerated at all? I have no idea. I, I, that's like, that's would be something, something to Google. Um, not that you would be able to find it on Google, but yeah, that's a good point. Like if that's real flesh and, you know, even if the organs have all been taken out and, you know, I just feel like there must be some other process for those bodies. Like there must be some kind of like taxidermy to go <laughs> use that word, but <laughs> well, you know what I'm saying? I did ask, I mean, maybe it was one of these people at the funeral home. I did ask them if an embalming job is well done, because of course not all jobs are created equal. You know, you do have to have a skilled human being, mm-hmm. you know, behind the, I don't know, the jabbing mechanism <laughs> that makes it possible. I don't know what to call it. Um, I asked him, like, if it's a really good embalming job, if I were to dig up a person 50 years later, what would it look like? And he said, if it was really, really well done, they would look almost completely unchanged. So, wow. yeah. So, I mean, I imagine if you're embalming a pope or like a, a someone like Ho Chi Minh you bring in your very best guy it is your mm-hmm. the cream of the crop when it comes to the technician I'm sure but even still you can't keep something right forever no no because eventually you know eventually the worms get in 
right? <laughs> like, I mean, maybe, maybe not, but like, even, yeah, yeah right. eventually something's going to happen, I would think. If you're in a wooden coffin, eventually it will, you know, it will seed to the elements, I mm -hmm. feel. That's um, true. I would think so. You know, I, whenever I think about this kind of thing, and I mean, for you and deciding that you wanted to write a piece on this, that's one thing, you know, it's one thing to be curious about something and be like, I'm going to investigate this and uh, learn everything I can about it. And that'll be <clears throat> not only an interesting experience, but also I'll write something about it or whatever. But the people who choose this as a profession, mm. same with the people who choose to do autopsies as a profession. I just wonder what, what is the, you know, like, let's say you're going to become a doctor, you know, and you're studying to become a doctor and then, you know, your choice comes, it's like time to specialize. It's like, Hmm, do I want to take care of babies? Cause you know, there's the pediatricians out there who are like, you know, I mean, that's, that's the way I would go if I were, if I were a doctor, <laughs> the pediatrician, you know, whatever it is that you want to, you want to bring babies into the world. You want to, you know, set bones, I, I, but like, who, who are the people who are like, no. I want to do autopsies and figure out how people died or, you know, just handle dead bodies in, in general. And the same with the, the embalmer, obviously somebody has to do it. So it's important that those people are there, but w why is that any kid, little kid's dream? <laughs> like, <I'm> just, <laughs> uh, huh. I'm yeah. It's sort of like with a doctor, you're always like, if you could go into any kind of medicine, why would you be a butt doctor? Um. <laughs> Or a foot doctor, either. Yeah. No offense to anybody who's listening who's a butt or foot doctor. Uh, but I I don't know. I mean, I think that... I think there could be an appeal to kind of doing something that's medical and with the human body that doesn't have a lot at stake as far as... You're not going to hurt this person that's more. That's true. <laughs> you know? Uh, that's true that's a very good point and it is still very much in the helping realm like you you are still doing the things you're doing to help a family grieve and move on so I could see it being like a helper class uh, I don't know there used to be a part of me though that when I was kind of spending time there when I was at the funeral home there it was fascinating to be honest not only just how well you get to know a person when you work on them all day, even though you don't know them at all. You, like, you know, you know everything except for who the person actually was. You know what I mean? That's kind of fascinating. Mm. Like, some mm. of those faces I'll never forget for my whole life. And I never knew that person as a living human being. I don't even know what their names are. But I also think that... Um, but I also remember having the thought when I was there that this is important work that they're doing and that if you are a person who can handle it, do you have like a duty to at least explore mm -hmm. if it's something that you do, that you should do? Or like if you're a person who can handle mm -hmm. it and finds it intriguing, should you pursue it further? Well, you know, we had a mortician on this show a couple of times. Yeah. Caitlin Doty? She yeah, runs, that sounds uh, right. She runs the Ask a Mortician youtube series yeah because she seems to have a real passion for it mm -hmm. yeah a real passion but i feel it. like not not everybody who does this can probably has that passion right i mean i guess i do maybe it's my lack of imagination but i cannot imagine wanting to work with dead bodies i don't know i've always had a, a fear of dead bodies 
And the funny thing is like when I'm walking around a church in Rome, like if I see a dead body in a coffin with wax over its face, that doesn't freak me out. Going into the Capuchin crypt and seeing all those skulls and bones doesn't freak me out. But like if I were swimming in a lake <laughs> and I swam past a dead body floating, like that would be enough to traumatize me for the rest of my life. I think that you are not alone there <laughs> because of the surprise of it, the traumaticness of, you know, how did this person come to be floating in a lake? But I mean, have you actually been around dead bodies where just they are dead because they were people that died, you know, in a bed? Yeah, I mean, I've been to a few funerals. No, not like I've never been to a wake, you know, I've never been to the kind of thing where the person is still lying in their bed after they've just died. I've never been near someone who died. Only in like a funeral funeral sense. I've been to at least one funeral, maybe two, where I have had gone up and, you know, viewed the my grandparents. I think it was my maternal grandparents, one at a time, obviously. Uh, that's the only time I can think of that I ever saw a dead body that wasn't like a, you know, a Pope who died a hundred years before or something. Right. Uh, and you couldn't really see anyway, so it doesn't really count or just random bones. So no, not really. I don't think, think that that really counts. No, I, yeah, I was just wondering, like, I wonder if it would be different if you had, if it was more normal, like, you know how it used to be, you know, how like in our homes, we call a certain room the living room and it used to be called the parlor and the parlor it was called that because that's where if a person died you would lay them out so that other people could come and visit uh and see seriously their dead i did not know that yeah and that's why we call it a living room because now we don't put our dead in the living room anymore we or in our parlors anymore we live in those rooms it's for the living it's not for the dead anymore interesting uh, i had no idea i thought that was called the living room because you spent the most of your life in that room mm -mm. nope the room I, you lived in well that's my that's understanding yeah that's the shift and so i feel like in the past or maybe when we think about times when it's like bubonic plague or something that it would have been more common to just encounter the dead all the time and now well, yeah. we really don't i mean that's what kind of makes rome interesting compared to say seattle is in rome you are going to encounter dead bodies they may look like a, a carnival ride where it's just covered in wax and you know <laughs> costuming but you still are encountering them more than say you would probably anywhere in the united states and part of the reason mm -hmm. why i wanted to work at the funeral home was because of my own distance from it all and i think that that for me at least that distance was causing fear i was very afraid of death and dying and to such a degree that it was like a real thing that was like, I couldn't not think about it a lot for much of the oh day. And I think part of me wanting to do this was trying to demystify it or take it into a different realm than, you know, just being completely separate from it entirely. Mm -hmm. And, but I, like I said, like I hadn't really ever been around dead bodies. Uh, my mom would tell you that one of her most maybe mortifying moments as a parent as it, when I was a very, very little girl was when she stopped by a church to go to a funeral and she was trying to just sit quietly in the back because she was late and the service was almost over. And me being the little toddler that I was sitting back next to her said in a very loud voice, what is that man doing up there? 
because <laughs> <laughs> it was a, he was laying in an open casket. To my uh. recollection, that's the only open casket I've ever seen my whole life, even to date. And so the night before I went into work at this funeral home for the very first time with no experience about being around dead bodies whatsoever, my father, who had done lots of funerals as a minister, pulled me aside and basically said, I don't know if it will help or not, but when I see a dead body, I always try to look at it with interest instead of with fear. And I definitely kept that notion in my head as I pulled open the door to the first room of dead bodies I'd ever seen and went from seeing zero to, I think, eight in one mm. room. My goodness. Did yeah. it help my fear of death? I think in the long run, yes. In the short term, I don't think it did. No. Really? But why, why in the short term, did it make you feel more just you just too much in your thoughts all the time? Well, because now you really know what it looks like up close and personal like you've been moving people around you've been spearing their bodies with embalming fluid you've been but sometimes you know they say like if you face your fear mm -hmm. like so, someone said to me like if you had a spider or a tarantula let's be honest that's what i'm really scared of crawl on you yeah it would really scare you but then after that you wouldn't be scared again i'm just not willing to do that so i'll just be afraid of spiders forever and that's okay I think there's something to that. I think, but that's why I say in the short term, I don't think it helped. I think in the long term, it did. I think in the short term, I mean, I was so young still. I was probably around 20, 21. Uh, and I think it just started, like, I started to feel so familiar that it felt like I could picture my friends dead easily, Ugh. things like that. And so that's why I was like, I think I'm not going to be doing this for a long time. <laughs> you know, mm. I also want to live life. And not ah. think about death all day when I'm this young. And so, you know, eventually stopped stopping by. Now I wish I'd stop by more often because, you know, my stories are so limited. But uh, and I'm not even telling you the worst of them. I, <laughs> <laughs> but I think in the long term, it was helpful. And I think partly what that mortician who came on the show talked about was that, you know, our distance from death now is not always the healthiest thing. Mm. It, it does make it an abstract when you know, historically, it used to be so concrete. Yeah, well, even, I mean, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know what people do in the United States if, let's say, someone dies, in, you know, not a tragedy, but like someone who's maybe very old and dying eventually. Like my father, my father died at home. We all knew that it was coming within weeks, if not days. And one of my sisters was there. My stepbrother was there. Obviously, my stepmother was there. And I don't know, I, I literally never asked the question, like, what did you guys do after, you know, maybe crying a little bit, maybe saying a prayer, like, what do you do right away? Because in Italy, and I don't know if this is a regional thing or if it's the whole country, but when Claudio's grandfather died, it was funny because his, his father had set up a couple of cameras in their apartment because they were very, you know, they were quite old and they were living alone and he wanted to, you know, be able to check up on them and make sure, you know, they hadn't fallen, one of them hadn't fallen, you know, something like that. And so the night that he died, I happened to be over there. Claudia and I were over at his parents' house and his father was watching the video in their bedroom mm -hmm. and his mother was sitting beside his father who was still in bed and... You know, I don't know if she was holding his hand or or what, but she was sitting beside him and there were 
other people there. Like she had called other people to come over, probably, you know, her other kids who live in, in the same city. And they were having basically a wake from what I understand. I don't know how long it went on, but I know that traditionally in many cultures, they do, you do that all night. Uh, you sit with the dead body all night, which again, I, I get why you do it, but it, 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 at the same time, it kind of, it kind of blows my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Still, but if it was like someone like your father, it wouldn't have been necessarily creepy to be sitting with him, even if he was not there anymore. No, possibly, possibly not. Possibly not. Yeah. I guess you have to look at from that point of view, Hmm. but to sit all night is, you know, why do we have that tradition or why do some cultures have the tradition, whether you do it at home the night that the person dies, or sometimes you do it like at a funeral home, mm-hmm. you, you, they, it, the person's in a coffin by that point, but you sit up all night. Yeah. And I just wonder why that is. And there must be some kind of, I wonder if there's like a superstition behind it. Or it's, it's like ritual. It's the beginning of yeah. the processing of the grief, I would think. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I know some cultures, it's a week. Yeah. And some cultures is very long. Very long. The very first person I ever helped embalm had been kept at home for like a week. Whew, made for a really hard job. I won't oh. go into the details of why, uh, but it made Oof. it very hard. We can all imagine. Yeah. Uh, but that said, I, I mean, I'm sure it, it's partly to come to terms with the fact that that person is gone. And, and, I think some people believe that if you see it with your own eyes, it's all the more believable. Mm-hmm. Like it sinks yes. in faster. Oh, absolutely. I think so. I have a friend whose mother died and she was living over here. You know, she was living in Italy and her mom was back in the States and she hadn't seen her mom for maybe, I don't know, six months or a year or longer. And when she went back for the funeral, she had to see the body. And I totally get that because I never saw my father's body and I never saw my sister Tia's body. And there is a part of me, I I don't know how to explain it because it's it's obviously completely irrational, but there is a part of me that hasn't really accepted either of them, that either of them are gone, especially my sister Tia. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I often find myself remembering and it's been years. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's like, and I wonder if having seen the body would have would have been more of a coming to terms. Yeah, would have made it concrete. I think in the United States, there's often a feeling that it's somehow like dangerous to keep a body around. You know, and I don't know, like it's diseased and it will somehow affect you. (laughs) Um, I don't know if that's changing over time. I think as people's attitudes change. When I worked with this funeral home, I think, and I could be wrong on this because it was a long time ago, but I believe that the law said that a person had to either be embalmed or refrigerated within 24 hours. Otherwise, it was, quote unquote, illegal. I, and I don't know how they would crack down on such a thing, but I believe that that was the law. And that, that oh. as a law, implies to me that it's it's... There, it's almost like an incentive to not keep the person around. It's like, you know, this is somehow mm-hmm. dangerous. We need to move this, move it along, you know, as quickly as possible. Like, get this person put safely away as quick as we possibly can. And I do think that there is a a little bit of that. But again, this is a culture that's totally divorced from one-on-one connection with death. And there are lots of death advocates that are trying to correct that, especially over the last 20 years. 
Mm. We're doing our part. Yeah, look at us. <laughs> <laughs> now, we're not getting into the ghostly element of Mike's imagination, but we do appreciate uh, the email that sparked this conversation. And yeah, and like we said in our Halloween episode, I believe, with the hosts of the podcast Homespun Haints, Tiffany and I, we've never really seen a ghost, not that we know of, but maybe someday. No, n not at all, <laughs> actually. Not at all. <laughs> not at all. I know. Not at all. Even though supposedly Rome is also littered with ghosts. Well, Claudio has seen a ghost. Oh, well. I'll try to get him on next week, next Halloween to tell the story. Yes, I'd love to hear it. All right, well, <laughs> let's leave it there. There's a chance that we still have room in our Rome trip. If you want to see some dead bodies, maybe we should go try to see the dead body in uh, Santa Maria Sopra Minerva, one of my favorite churches in all of Rome because it's Oh, I was I'm gorgeous. planning to take I'm planning to stop there. Yes, because there's there is some amazing art there that that most people don't, you know, they walk right past that church. They admire the 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 facade, which is quite stunning. They don't usually go in and it's just been restored and it's uh, there's some true gems in there, plus Catherine, St. Catherine of Siena's body. So I think that's going to be a definite, a definite stop. Right. So we are going to Rome October 8th through the 14th. We may still have a couple rooms available for you if you want to join us, you and a friend. And uh, yeah, if you're interested in knowing more, just send us an email, bittersweetlifepodcast at gmail.com, bittersweetlifepodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. Do you have a topic you want us to explore? Send your requests. We love to hear what you want to know. Visit thebittersweetlife.net and contact us with your questions, your adventures, your observations, your favorite episodes. We love hearing from you. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for The Bittersweet Life Podcast. Thank you.